You hear the term liquidity frequently in finance and investing. The term liquidity in reference to an investor generally means how much cash or currency do they have at their disposal to use immediately on something. For instance, a big stock buy. Some folks have a lot of money on paper, but it's all tied up in businesses, real estate, maybe bonds, maybe stock, and the amount of actual cash they have to put into something is limited. Somebody whose assets are highly liquid generally means that they have a bunch of cash to throw around or stable currencies or stocks. They can get access to capital very quickly. As a trader, liquidity is important because the more liquidity you have, the better you can defend long positions. A lot of derivatives trading is about hanging on to a position for long enough that it can pay off big. That generally means putting more and more capital into the dynamics of an overall position, your combination of longs and shorts that don't necessarily even generate you any extra income. They just allow you to avoid losses or get the original credit that you had taken in an exchange or an original payoff that you had planned for. Liquidity when it comes to a stock means, practically speaking, how much volume is being traded in the stock. How many shares are being traded back and forth? How many options contracts are being exchanged at any given moment? As a stock's value climbs higher, you need to have buyers who are willing to pay the next highest price. Typically, when a stock starts having above average gains for a long period of time, as it gets to its peak before topping out for a little while, or even pulling back some, the gains will be smaller and smaller. And if you were to look at an actual inventory board of the business of the shares being traded, you would see that near the top, the last of the gains, there were fewer and fewer buyers looking to purchase shares from sellers. It took longer and longer to find a, a buyer for the next higher stock price versus when a very popular stock, a very mainstream stock, a very large company is having what buyers or investors or traders think is a very fair price or a price where there are a lot of gains left to go in a given period of time. There are almost always exponentially more computers setting their orders to buy whatever the share price is, the best they can get. They believe the momentum of all of those buyers will result in enough gains to offset not getting the very best price on a given day for some shares. Understanding liquidity in stocks or in a given underlying, and by underlying I mean, for instance, let's say you're trading the options market. An underlying stock would serve just like the board would for a board game that you're going to put your pieces on. The underlying stock will have contracts, call and put contracts, on either side of a range of stock prices below the current stock price and stock prices above the current stock price, which are all basically levels at which contracts will be sold for people making their bets about what will happen in the future to the stock price, to that underlying stock price. And the exact same game is played on each stock. 
So some people like playing that game of speculating what will happen to Tesla's stock price on the Tesla board. Some people like playing the game on Apple. Some people like playing the game on indexes such as the S&P 500 and instruments that track that like the SPX or SPY or ES Mini Futures. Most day traders and most traders prefer to trade options on underlyings on stocks that have a lot of liquidity. The reason being is you don't want to be right on your bet about what's going to happen to a stock. Let's say that I purchase an options contract on the bet that the Apple stock is going to increase in price over the next two weeks. My expectation, because Apple has a ton of liquidity, is that if my options contract, which has a time limit to it, and in that case I might be buying, let's say, a 35-day contract, if that options contract goes to expiration, it becomes worthless. So when the underlying stock, Apple in this case, has the move that I'm anticipating, I want to be able to cash out on my position immediately. In order to do that, if I have bought a call, then I need another buyer to be willing to let me sell what's remaining in that contract to him to get out of in order to collect profits on the trade. If I had sold a put, I would then need to find a seller for that contract. I would need to buy it back in order to get out of that exchange with profits. And in a low liquidity stock, if there are not buyers and sellers on the other side of the table, when you need to finish your trade and close out, then you can be stuck with it. Because of the volume in certain stocks, it is safe to trade them, at least at the prime price levels, the prime range of trading. And trading software allows you to see the number of contracts and what kinds of contracts they are on an underlying strike price as far as options go. When we're new to trading and most regular Americans who don't involve themselves in their investing tend to criticize. When we're new to trading, we tend to criticize buyers and sellers, traders, because it's these traders who cause sharp drop-offs in stock value. Over the weekend, Bitcoin sold off to the low 40,000s from above 50,000. And that was due to people who owed, and that was due to people who owned large amounts of Bitcoin being willing to sell it. They flooded the market with so much Bitcoin that there was so little competition in terms of buyers that the best prices that could be found were $10,000 lower as far as what people were willing to pay. People were willing to start buying at that level, however. In years past, Bitcoin had a lot less liquidity. There were The total volume of trades at any given time was much lower. And that increased the potential volatility of the trading price, meaning that increased the chances that it was going to have big swings up and down. The more liquidity that we get, the more stable those down moves tend to become. And that's why that across all underlyings, we want a lot of traders. We want a lot of competition at that game of buying and selling. 
because that helps stabilize stock price and stabilize our gains. The byproduct of that is that the price on a weekly, monthly, even yearly basis is going to swing up and down. And it's going to have correlation to things that the company or the cryptocurrency, you know, these days, it's going to have correlation to what the company is doing. Are their activities good? Are their profits good? But it will also be drastically affected by the sentiment of the market and traders. There are a lot of good companies out there on the market that do great things for the world, that treat their employees well, and their stock price is like $10 a share. There's a lot that goes into affecting a stock price. But we want stocks that will be able to grow steadily over time and maintain gains as far as an American public that is going to invest in a hands-off approach that reflects something like the S&P 500, and they hope to keep up with that sort of growth. Part of, of facilitating that is promoting a lot of traders trading and not being mad at volatility and not being mad at the speculators who choose to be bearish and bet against comp and bet against companies and try to maximize the amount of money and leverage that they can get on downward swings. What's fascinating about the market is it is a reflection of human behavior. And the market and the market has the highest correlation with fairness or reflecting true human nature when left alone, you know, as I say, a free market with a framework that allows for fair play. We see today manipulated by numbers of Supreme Court justices and dominant parties in the House, the Senate, and in the presidency, how much manipulation can go on in terms of policy and enabling situations. And in the markets, the checks and balances, the checks and balances that's supposed to be with the multi-tiered congressional system and the powers of veto, et cetera, that the president has, they're supposed to keep everything fair. And they're supposed to keep people getting out of control. However, they don't seem to keep the government from getting out of control. The bears do a great job of keeping companies who are truly flawed in check on the markets. When there's a company that is full of shit, and this is what Michael Burry was famous for in terms of analyzing that the entire real estate industry was full of shit when he bet against it during the 2008 housing bubble. He recently took a temporary bet that Tesla was overvalued and made some money on some puts, which was a smart trade. And he also owns Tesla, I believe. So he's also relatively long with his deltas. When these people start building up short positions, whether they're shorting stock or puts or using derivatives or blah, 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 other traders start to take notice. And there's a trickle down to the media and trickle down to the public that says, wait, wait, wait a second, there's something wrong with this company. These guys who look at these companies very, very closely, very meticulously are finding flaws in this company that for all intents and purposes, seems to be doing really great. Think of Theranos. It was a billion-dollar company. Didn't even have a real product.
Right now, the checks and balances in San Francisco seem to be carried out by criminals, which is reminiscent of the organized crime stories that we love so much, like The Godfather and Scarface. Organized crime appears to be robbing cannabis stores and stealing their inventory because they have approaches that overwhelm the resources that the city's law enforcement has and the policies that the state itself has made about policing. Part of the reason that this is happening is because of the exorbitant and greedy taxes that have been placed on cannabis since it's become recreationally legal. The medicinal world in California was a much better place than when it was just freely legal unfortunately, because of how corrupt the legalization has been. And so it's bullshit that they charge so much money. And it's bullshit that the stores themselves still make a great margin while really the small farmer and the people who are the foundation of cannabis as a, a plant and a medicine and a crop, they've just been exploited. So the reaction has been the thing that should have happened all along is cannabis the cannabis taxes have been rolled back and that doesn't mean that a small tax isn't reasonable just like a small additional tax on trading would probably be reasonable but the gouging of people and the greed over something that's supposedly being allowed because there are benefits and not enough harms for it to be the schedule one public threat that it's always been mislabeled charging 50 percent tax in some in some places and uh now they've been overwhelmed with crime that they can't stop to the point that they say, okay, 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 we'll stop stealing from you. So you stop stealing from us. Part of the problem is that huge money in the cannabis world has been able to buy up all the licenses and pay the exorbitant fees and be able to afford to build huge facilities which can afford to flood the market with less than desirable cannabis, but commercially... It appeals to people in the ways they need to be able to move it, and they've been able to push out the small farmer. So they've both made it prohibitively expensive, and they've also made it prohibitively non-profitable. They've pushed prices down so low that, that it's frustrating for farmers because they're not really able to make a good living. And then on top of that, they've flooded the market to the point that they can't even always sell their product. This was organized through lobbying and all of that, those dark arts. So that liquidity of cannabis into the market as far as distribution. So there's all kinds of cannabis being grown all around the country now and more cannabis in California than buyers actually need. Now, when it was the small town farmers who had been growing most of the cannabis in California for since the inception of California cannabis, there wasn't too much. Prices were always stable enough to remain above $1,000 a pound wholesale. And you could always sell good quality product. There was no need for the commercialization and factory farming of the plant. However, recreational removed those people, implanted a base of factory farming, which already was growing too much cannabis, and then allowed farmers to come in on top of that. And being that it costs six figures or more to go into business now, the profit margins are discouraging when you're not even guaranteed being able to move your crop. It's a bit of a squeeze. The companies still feel that 
like cartels, if big money can push out enough small town growers, then they can work together to price fix the amount of production they have and eventually balance it out so that they're not making too much. But they also want these facilities in place so that as cannabis is finally legalized nationally, they'll be able to ramp up production again and get it out to the rest of the country. Now, if there weren't tons and tons and tons and tons of buyers willing to trade throughout the entire country, they wouldn't be making all of these bets. If you were dealing with, let's say, like amethyst stones, no, that's not a crop, dandelions, you might not make all of these bets and have long-term 10-year plans of flushing out local farmers and you know, leveraging debt and selling stock and all of these complicated measures in order to try to take over an industry. You don't hear a whole lot about people trying to take over the dandelion industry. And in the same vein, you don't hear a lot of people being inspired or having their life saved by dandelion tea, where people do become very passionate about cannabis. So liquidity is important in getting a competitive price in trading when you need it. You... When you want to buy and sell something, you want there to be a buyer or seller on the other side willing to exchange the contract with you. You never want to get stuck with one. So that's your biggest actionable tip today. If you find a company that maybe you know something about, you think others don't, and you want to get really long and use the leverage of options, or you want to get really short, you think you know they're going to go out of business, want to use the leverage of options, but they're a low liquidity company, Look on your options board and find the strikes that have the highest amount of volume. You'll, what you'll probably see is that there are several levels, even though they have a perfect price to you, there are no buyers and sellers. There's just no activity. And there's a good chance that if you do happen to find a buyer seller, buyer or seller for this side of the trade, when you go to exit, if you are right and what you believe happens to this little known stock occurs, you won't be able to sell it or buy it back. And if you are, it'll be way, it'll be way on the side of a bidder and ask spread. It won't be near the mid price. But if you look on that board where the puts and calls are, you probably be able to see where there is a level. Let's say the stock price is $30 and you find that there are $32 calls and there are a hundred contracts for that dollar call at 32. And that's a safe place to put your bet. You'll be able to you take advantage of the liquidity to get out because there are still there will be that many people still trading their contracts, hopefully.